Good morning. You guys, I love me a mom's group. Like Nicole said, I, I got the privilege of running our mom's group. I'm from Rock Harbor Church, which is in Costa Mesa. And I got to do it for three years, and I had the best time. I think what I love most is because for me, um, the transition into motherhood kind of was like this little identity crisis of like, wait, moms are the ones like are kind of like still in their pajamas, walking sadly around Target, like not really knowing where they're going. And then I became one, and that was my happiest place, walking alone in Target in my pajamas. And I just loved being with moms. So I think there's something incredible about coming into a room full of women that are ready to support each other, walk through life together, and um, especially in these early stages of motherhood where it can feel a little bit isolating because you have these little people that can't quite talk back yet um, and expect a lot somehow with not communicating with words. So anyways, like Nicole said, my name is Kelly. Um, I am a wife. I've been married, oh, that's terrifying, uh, 13 years. It's in between that 10 and 15 where you start to lose track. Um, I think it's 13. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, I have three kids. I have um, Lainey, who's 11. She's in fifth grade. Uh, Katie is in third grade. She's nine. And Liam, my second grader, he is about to turn eight this month. So um, my babies came quickly. And they are awesome. I love the stage that I'm in right now. I love the stage of playing with my kids. I feel like I'm in a second childhood with them. Um, and again, like she said, I work for Freedom Movement. I am their director of operations. So I get to keep people organized. I love spreadsheets. I love forms. Um, and they are grateful for it, which is good. Um, they do the amazing creative stuff. But yeah, we're an organization that just wants women to know what it means to be free. We pursue that question of like, what does that actually look like? And we believe that freedom comes from the courageous act of loving who God has created you to be. And I say courageous because sometimes that can't always, that isn't always an easy thing to do. So we tour around the United States. We share the gospel with people. We share how God enters into life with us. Um, we have free gatherings up in Orange. We're based out of Orange, right outside the circle. So the first Monday of every month, Carrie, our founder, teaches, um, and we just gather together and hear what she has to share. Uh, we also have resources, so I brought a couple with me. We have a book called The Exchange that is a video-based nine-week like Bible study um, where you hear from Carrie. She has a video to go with each week um, that kind of walks you through a journey if you're in the middle of something that's hurting or not necessarily even hurting, but just knowing I have some places that could use some healing. Um, she'll share with you a video. It talks about grief. It talks about forgiveness, um, different things each week. And then you can fill out the questions as, ow, be careful, these hurt. Um, and you can do it alone. It's better in a group. It's meant to be done in group work. So I brought a couple with me. They're cheaper here than online. So if you're interested, feel free to take a look. If not, no worries. Um, so I was told that you guys are focusing right now on filling up your cup so that you can be the best version of what God has for you to be. Um, and I know this is a huge desire of mine because I want the absolute best. I want the most out of life that it has to offer. And 
I don't even want like a little bit of a cup. I don't know that, I don't understand the phrase of like cup half empty, half full. Like I want a larger cup and I want it filled to the top. Like I want to get absolutely everything out of life. Um, also happy Valentine's Day. It is so cute in here. I'm like, I came in at this table, they have really cute cookies. Like I love, this is why, yes, I'm like, this is why I love women and moms because you guys do things really well. So. Um, who is like super into Valentine's Day? Are we, yes. Are we all not really into, okay, we have a few. Is there anyone that like, Valentine's Day is a Hallmark made thing and this is a waste of money? Yeah. Um, I, I'm like, my sister-in-law is that person like, do not buy me flowers on this day. You can buy it on the 15th, on the 13th. Do not buy it on the 14th. Um, I love Valentine's Day. I am a celebrator. Um, birthdays are a big deal in my home. It starts, we, I'm half Swedish, so it starts at like 5 a.m. on birthdays, and we wake you up with cake and presents and singing. It's a whole thing. All our birthday photos are all like, ooh, half awake eyes. And um, One year, we went to Great Wolf Lodge for my daughter's birthday, and we were so excited to go. And my oldest daughter is my adventurer. She's the one that wants to ride the roller coasters with me. Um, we play really well together. And so there was a ride that we had looked up before we went that was called, I wrote it down, the Wolf Rider Wipeout. Has anyone been to Great Wolf? Okay. So this ride, in case you haven't been there, it looks kind of like you're going to go like bodyboarding. So you get like a boogie board. And you go down and you ride this wave. It's really cute. The, the picture shows this tiny little boy having the greatest time, a big smile on his face. And so Lainey was like, I want to go do this ride. So we leave the other two with my husband. We head over to this ride. Um, and we go, and there's only a couple people riding. They're doing great. So Lainey decides to go first. And so she gets in, and they have her go to the bottom of the wave-looking thing, and they slowly, like, usher her in. And she's, like, holding onto her board, like, ready to have a really good time. But she is concentrating so hard on holding onto this board. Like, she does not look like she's having fun. She's like, yeah. And so probably, like, 30 seconds in, I'm looking at her, and she is, like, stressing. I'm like, what's happening? So I was like, babe, you having fun? And she's like, uh-huh. I'm like, you don't really look like you are. And so I was like, you don't have to do this ride if you don't want to. She's like, I don't want to do this ride. I'm like, okay. So they take her off. She gets off. But I, as a second childhood, absolutely am going to do this ride. I grew up, you know, behind boats, wakeboarding, all this stuff. So for adults, though, they tell you, you go to the top, you take the board, you kind of ride down in, and you enjoy your little boogie board. So I'm like totally about it. Um, so I go to the top, I get my boogie board, and as I'm about to like step down into the wave and lie down, this man, because there's two, so peop two people can go at a time, this man on the other one gets shot up, gets slammed against the back padded wall, which now I realize why it's padded, and a little bit more fear gets put into me that I'm like, oh, this is a thing. And so, but I'm like, no problem. He's probably new to water. <laughs> so I'll be totally fine. Um, 
So I go in, and I drop down, and I'm killing it. I am writing it. I'm doing amazing. My daughter's, like, so proud of me. I'm having one of those moments that I'm like, that's right, your mom's cool. <laughs> and then <laughs> I turn that board just a little bit. I swear it was so slight. And I felt the quick propulsion back up. Now, mind you, I'm very wise. And I decided to wear a very smart swimsuit to a water park. Obviously a two-piece. Obviously a strapless two-piece. Like, telling you right now, I feel so foolish. Like, what was I thinking? Like, and so my strapless two-piece, as I'm riding quickly back up, is rolling down one way and rolling up the other way. I'm like, I don't get how this is physically possible. So I'm going up and being dismembered. It, didn't, it wasn't dismembered. I'm getting, being dramatic. But things are rolling. Things are starting to be exposed. And I am now at the top. I did not get slammed into the wall. Instead, I am like a 7-Eleven hot dog rolling at the top while things are moving and adjusting. And the once empty wall where you line up is now full of prepubescent boys and their fathers waiting for a ride. Somehow in my head as I'm rolling, I'm thinking, well, this water has to be disguising some of what's happening. So I stay down in trying to like adjust, and, but I'm continuing to roll and roll and roll. Finally, <laughs> I stand up, I get adjusted, and I'm like, huh. My daughter's eyes are like the size of saucers, like, Mom! She is entirely embarrassed. All the boys have the same size eyes of like, what just happened? I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> the dads are generously finding something very interesting on the ceiling. And the teenage kid that is running the ride has my boogie board and looks at me and is like, so uh, every person gets two rides. Do you want to go again? <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I went down. My daughter was mortified, and we continued to laugh about it. And I now am wiser, which I should have been in the first place, to not wear a two-piece to a water park. It's silly. Anyways, I swear that story had a point. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about seasons of life. And that ride for me mirrored a year in my life where it felt like I had this, this seasons that I was going in expecting a really fun ride. It was going to be a great year. I was going to have a great time. And midway through the year, somehow I have been stripped down very vulnerable and a little humiliated and feeling super exposed. And I wonder if any of you have walked through these seasons of life too. You have those seasons that are so exciting, that are super fun. Then you have those seasons that may be less than fun, 
that may leave you feeling a little bit exposed, a little bit vulnerable. And what I want to share is that in each season, God is super present. In each season, he's even preparing you for the next seasons to come, no matter what that looks like. Um, so I'm going to sh- continue to share a part of my story. But for me, that year, it was 2017, it felt like I went through three very distinct seasons. I went through a season of eager and excited anticipation, a season of depression and devastation is what it felt like, and then a season of extravagant and unimaginable adventure and celebration. Um, I want to put a little disclaimer on my story because I know that not all stories wrap up with a silver bow. Most years, most seasons, probably don't have that perfect ending bow. And sometimes when people come and share and you hear the condensed version, you get the wrap up with the bow and it kind of makes you feel like, well, that's nice for you, great. Um, But I also don't want to miss out on sharing how God is really lavish and extravagant in his love because this was part of this story. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I just want to put that out there first. I think if nothing else you hear out of this morning, my hope for you is that you hear that God is so kind. He's really kind. He's incredibly gentle. He is patient and he is near and desires intimacy with each one of you. He is lavish in his love in both simple and really extravagant ways. Um, 2017, this year, really endeared me to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now when I read it, and as I take myself through it, it brings me back to that year of how he walked me through this year. So I want to read this psalm over you, and if you would be willing to maybe take a minute, I know there's babies, so keep your eyes open if you need to, but if you would, just kind of settle yourself a little bit, maybe shut your eyes, and while I'm reading this over you, maybe keep a few of these questions in your head. I want you to pay attention to what stands out to you. Does anything stand out in this psalm more than anything else? Pay attention to your body. Does it relax? Does it tense when you hear something? Does any part of it sound nice? Does any part actually sound scary? I want you to be a little curious this morning as I read it. Pretend you're a three-year-old that just learned the question, why? Um, So I'm going to read that over you now. Got to get my glasses because I'm almost 40. And somehow my Bible text shrank. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. You guys can open your eyes. For me, when I read that psalm, or when I read that psalm, it's those last couple of verses that stood out to me. They were the most unrelatable to me. Um, Preparing a table in the presence of my enemies didn't really, I didn't have context for that. I actually work pretty hard about being likable. And while I know I'm not for everyone, I actually couldn't actually think of someone who I would consider my enemy. And so I began to ask God, what does this actually look like? Who would be my enemy? Who would that be? And so one morning I got a really vivid picture while I was in the shower because most of my best thinking happens in the shower when I have a minute um, of what my table experience would look like if God prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. Um, And I'm actually really excited to share that with you. I'm going to read that over you in a little bit um, because I have a feeling you probably share some of my same enemies. And I will hope for you that as you hear this, that you would actually stand in the confidence of the verse that comes next. I think what feels so juxtaposed is after you enjoy a time at a table with your enemies, he goes to surely goodness and love will follow me. That seemed really odd to me. I didn't understand that. So before I jump into that, and before I jump into telling you about 2017, because it was wild, um, I want to give you a little bit of context for who I am and how I grew up and how I got to 2017. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I have Christian parents, Christian grandparents, Christian great-grandparents. There was missionaries in there. So there's a lot of Jesus going on in my home, which what a gift at times. Um, most of the time. I, at four years old, I asked Jesus into my heart. I've never known a time that really didn't have Jesus about. Um, I grew up going to church two to three times a week. There was youth group. There was Sunday morning church. There was Sunday night church. We did church. Um, I went to a Christian college. I didn't really have that major rebellious streak One of my brothers took care of that for me, so I watched his consequences, and I was like, meh, that's not for me. Um, And I had significant points all along the way where my faith continued to become my own, and not just the Christian culture that I grew up in. Um, I met my husband at 25 and was one of the last of my friends to get married. I was practically a spinster. My mom was very concerned. I was like, we're fine. Um, And in our engagement season, we had several couples kind of feed into us into that moment, into that time, so much so that my husband was like, we're we're prepared for something. We're going to do something pretty amazing. I was thinking Africa. Um, God was thinking a baby. So four months into our marriage, I found out I was pregnant with our first child Um, on birth control and using a condom. So I'm just saying God can do what he wants to do. Um, and that was the beginning of a trust journey for me with God. It would be a foundation for me that, um, that would just be laid as God continued to move and take me outside of my plan. I was the type that had 
a plan, I had goals, I did things to meet those goals, and then a baby came. And I was like, oh, this is different. This takes me outside of my comfort zone. It takes me outside of control because I have to submit sometimes to this little person. Um, motherhood was such a gift because it awoke this love for babies and kids that I actually didn't know I had. Um, it also was the beginning of this performance version of my faith to start to be stripped away because I was having a lot got stripped away. As I shared before, it was a little bit of an identity crisis for me. I got a lot of significance through what I could do for people, the work that I could do. Um, but when I became a mom, it forced me into a new posture of dependence. It was unfamiliar to me. It woke me to the reality of the little control that I had. And yet, I was still invited to participate and enjoy the gift that I had been given in these kiddos. So Lainey came. After our first anniversary, a month later, she was born. Um, and then about 20 months later, our second was born. And then about 16 months later, our third was born. So basically, I just thought sex produced babies. Um, and then my husband got fixed, and it was delightful. No joke, I still have a pregnancy test in my purse because, I mean, my youngest is now eight, but there's still always that like, hmm, maybe. Um, so now let's fast forward to 2017, just a little bit of background. My kids were getting older. My youngest was about to go into full-time kindergarten. Um, I'd been leading the mom's group at my church for three years, and it was about to roll off because it's a three-year rotation. And I was starting to see time coming back into my schedule, and I was excited. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, this is going to be great. What, is, what am I going to be able to do with all this time? It had been 10 years in the making, um, ready for this time. And so this was my season of eager and excited anticipation. This was my green pastures, my still waters. I was ready for my soul to be restored. I felt like a champagne bottle that was getting shooken up and be right before the cork was about to explode. And in the March of 2017, I went away for a weekend with my mom and my aunt, and I was sharing with them about how excited I was, that I was gonna be able to do all these things, but I wasn't sure what it was, but I knew it was gonna be great. And I got home from that weekend, and I was met at the door by incredible sadness that made no sense. Nothing had changed. There was no major loss. But I got hit in the face with this sadness that just took over. I went to all my go-tos. I've experienced sadness before. I'll go for a run. I'll boost my endorphins. I'll pray more. I was like, when I pray, Jesus speaks, and, I, I, that, and that's good. Um, I'll spend time with my girlfriends, because sharing sometimes and just knowing you're not alone can help with that sadness. But this time, it didn't do it. None of my go-tos were working. And so I was depressed. And I had to admit that. And I can tell you that felt really hard. It felt actually really humiliating. 
It was exhausting, like physically exhausting, mentally exhausting. If any of you walked through that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, And I was spiritually exhausted. This was the season of the Valley of the Shadows for me. I was in depression and I was devastated. I felt like I was in this dark pit that had no light and was very disorienting. And in that pit, God came near and then I was completely undone. Questions of his goodness. How could I have grown up in a home that knows Jesus, been in church my entire life, and still wonder if God's good? Is this all for real? What do I do with evil and pain? Am I doing everything right to not be sad? What do I have to do if I have nothing to give? Who am I if I don't have anything to give right now? to God, to my family, to my friends. This season was painful, and it was really humiliating. I want to say humbling, because humbling sounds better, but it felt humiliating, because I had to be something that I hated. I had to be needy, and that felt so scary. Would I be rejected because I was this needy person? Would I be too much? Am I not enough? I went to counseling because the Bible talks about seek wise counsel, and so I actually think it means to seek wise counsel. (laughs) I went to an inner healing prayer. I talked to my friends who offered their experiences of being in the pit. I talked to my family who did the same. They offered me time and space. They didn't offer me churchy platitudes or the verse to just make it better and put a band-aid on it. They came and they joined me in this pit. I sat for hours in bed with God because it just felt like too much to get out. And it was in this darkest place that I found myself that I experienced being loved because I was, not because I had anything to offer, but because I had value and was seen and known. And that was a really new experience for me. I had had it all along, but I thought somehow I was earning it. I thought that I was doing the things that needed to be done in order to be loved instead of just knowing that I was loved and out of that place that then I could do things. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And after 2017, I know that to be really, really true. He felt so near in my sadness. So my sadness one day just started to slowly lift. I was talking with people and doing things, but it didn't feel like there was anything in particular that made it shift, but it did. It wasn't overnight like I had hoped. I had been praying, take this sadness. This is, I'm done. I tend towards optimism. I tend towards seeing life with rose-colored glasses. Um, And so I was ready (laughs) to not be sad anymore. Um, But little by little, energy started coming back joy started coming back. The ability to think clearly started coming back. And life continued. And I didn't have answers for why that season happened, except for the fact that I think God really just wanted to meet me and let me know that he loved me, not because of what I do, but because of who I am and who he's made me to be. So as I'm still kind of coming out of this space, the end of 27 
comes. And it was wild, you guys. Like, it was one of those things that you're like, okay, wow, this is more than I could have imagined. Like, God talks about, like, this, there's more. There is more. And so I want to make sure first, though, that I tell you that because of going through this dark space, in this place that I had to lean on people, that I had to rely on God, it allowed me to actually be able to accept the great stuff, where before I may have been a little too proud to accept help to make some of these things possible. And so in the season of darkness, it prepared me for a season of celebration, which again sounds so counter to how it should be, but that's how it happened. Um, So the end of 2017, it was my, our 10 year anniversary. And we had been planning and saving to go to Paris. We had not been out of the country since our honeymoon 10 years prior. So um, we had hadn't, hadn't had more than about a couple days alone together in those 10 years. And so we were getting a week in Paris by ourselves. And we had my mother coming down. We had my mother-in-law help. And so we had that trip planned for November of that year. And then I got a call from my brother and my brother. Um, the miracle of this story is the fact that he was a very hard place for me growing up. He is a voice that I can often hear when um, I have critical thoughts. Um, and so the fact that he would call and he said, hey, I'm going to Africa with an organization. I'd like you to come with me. We're going to go on safari. We're going to go help schools out there. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, because we were finally in a spot that our relationship was good enough to make it that possible. And he's like, I'm going to pay for you to go. Because I was like, I don't have money for that. And I was like, again, awesome. I thought I was going to Africa 10 years ago, but I had a baby. And so I was excited to be able to go. And it was an incredible trip. It was before our trip to Paris. And I came alive in that trip. We got to go on sand dunes. We rode camels. Like, it was ridiculous. We went on safari, and it was in that place of adventure, and it felt so personal because God knows how much I love to see new things, how much I love adventure. And so we go on this trip. He and I had a great time. We got to connect and renew a relationship that had been really broken for most of my life, and it felt wild. It felt more. It felt cup to the full. So I get home, and I get another call from a friend saying, hey, our church pastors are going to India to visit our partner there, and we want you to come on the trip. And I'm like, "Mm, I just got back from Africa. I'm headed to Paris. I don't know if I have time or space. Um, But I was like, yes, I want to go. Because About seven years prior, I was working with an organization called International Princess Project. I was running their galas to raise money for women in India trapped in sex slavery in the red light district. And there was two other trips that I was supposed to go on to India, but I kept getting pregnant (laughs) and couldn't go. And I was devastated each time I couldn't go. I was so excited to see these women that we were raising money for and to go and encourage and love on them and be on the ground with them. And I kept getting told no, like I can't go on these trips. And so this trip came. We were going to be able to visit one of the sewing centers that we had set up when I was working for that organization and meet some of the women. 
And so I got to go to India, <laughs> as well as to Paris, as well as to Africa, in the matter of four months. What you guys, that is not normal for me, and it was unreal. And each trip had its unique gift in and of itself. And so I tell you that because I hope you know that God's gifting is very personal. For some of you, going to Africa or India actually sounds terrible. So know that that wouldn't be what he's calling you to, but that he is personal in the way that he gives gifts. Um, and so I wanted to read you, I call it the table, um, the thing, the picture that I got. It takes a little bit of time. Um, don't worry, it's not like 30 minutes, guys. But I'm wondering for you guys what God might have to say to you through my experience at the table with my enemies and through my experience of now knowing that surely goodness and love follows me. So this is from like an adaptation of 23.5. He sets the table for us and invites me to take a seat next to him. While settling in, I quickly notice we are not alone. Across the table from me sits anger, doubt, confusion, shame, and the twins' significance and success. For as often as I listen to their counsel, you would think we're friends. We are not. Taking in the grandeur of the table setting, I'm aware that the meal to come will not be simple, but rather a feast with many courses. I will never forget how difficult it was to swallow the first bite of that first course placed before me. It got stuck in my throat several times before I got it down. God had offered me this plate multiple times in the past, delicious bites of true, unconditional love, but because it looked so foreign, I didn't think I would like it. As I ate, it, become, it became easier to swallow, and the flavors were more delicious with each bite. I lingered on the flavor of tangible love from friends and family when I had nothing to offer them in return. I savored the taste of relief that came from this unimaginable type of love. Too often, I opt for my performance version of this course and thought it tasted pretty good. But it was nothing in comparison to the complex flavor that God had prepared and presented. Each bite continues to reveal more and more indulgent combinations of flavors as I enjoy it. As the first plate was being cleared, Anger speaks up through gritted teeth. Sure, that tasted good. But what will you have to sacrifice in order to enjoy the next course? Anger continues, only his voice grows louder with each word. You know he did not just prepare this for you to enjoy. He has always required something of you, and it always ends up with you losing more of yourself. That you believe he loves you without condition just proves to me that you are naive and weak, and it is easy for me to take you out. Doubt then chimes in with softly spoken questions. Does God even love you? Are you sure he even knows what you like? Isn't this all just a trick you into doing something for him? Maybe he's the enemy, the true cause of all your pain. 
I bet you he would be so disappointed to know that you have these questions too. I'm going to work with confusion to keep you asking questions instead of seeking answers. If anyone knew who you really were and the questions you had, would they even want to be around you? Shame will help. He'll keep you quiet and alone. Shame laughs as he reaches across the table and grabs my fork. While his laugh still rings loudly in my ear, God sets in course number two in front of me, complete with a new set of utensils. A paired drink accompanies this plate to enhance the flavor, and I sip on confession first and let it roll around on my tongue to let the taste become really familiar. As I do, I look up and I see joy and delight radiating from God's face. I will never forget that look and how near to me he is during this course. Then I took a huge, delightful bite of grace. I hadn't realized it at first, but God is feeding me this course himself. Shame keeps trying to snatch the fork away from me, but is unagain successful in his effort. Bite after bite, my starving soul is filling with the most incredible life-giving food I had ever known. I have often heard about this course and even eaten some of it before on my own, but it tastes so different being fed to me from my Savior. He alone knows how to make the perfect bite complete with all the flavors on the plate. There's forgiveness mixed with love and delight, finishing with sweet peace that is far superior to the fear I had been feasting on, fear that has kept me starving and undernourished. Course three follows quickly after the second. God somehow seems to be bigger in the room as he places before me a plate full of celebration. All of my favorite things are on this plate and in abundance. I can hardly believe my eyes. There's so much goodness. This is the biggest plate I have ever seen, and I swear it has the writing on the rim that reminds me of my birthday plate from childhood. You are special. And I can't wait to dig in. As I pick up my fork, it is ridiculously heavy. My forearms strain in pain trying to lift it. I manage to turn it over and to see Doubt's name engraved on the back. Doubt had quietly managed to give me her fork to use this round. Along with it came more of those softly spoken questions. How much do you think this course will cost you? Can you afford to eat it? Will it hurt to eat? It's so decadent. Maybe it would be better for you not to partake. Maybe it would make you feel closer to God if you didn't eat it. You know, share in the suffering of Jesus. God watches my struggle to take even one bite. With a gentle kiss on my forehead, he places a new set of utensils to use in front of me. This simple gesture changes the entire atmosphere of the room. A victory has been declared over me, and everyone at the table is acutely aware of it. He lifts the heavy fork of doubt without strain and encourages me to enjoy the next course. I start with the cake. I love cake. God knows it's my favorite and that I have the sweet tooth of a five-year-old. This cake looks delicious and it did not disappoint. It was absolutely the best cake I've ever tasted. The frosting to cake ratio is perfect. The buttercream frosting was creamy and sweet. The cake itself was airy and light with enough body to it that it presses beautifully between the fork prongs. 
Some of the other foods on my plate I've always wanted to try but thought it would be too rich for my body to handle. Glancing sideways at God, ready to dive in, I ask, can I really eat this? God nods and then laughs with me as I squeal in delight of its goodness. I feel so alive. Each bite causes more joy, more life, and more delight than I can hardly believe that there was this kind of enjoyment to experience. God and I continue to laugh as I unashamedly lick the plate clean and get every last bit of goodness. Throughout this meal, throughout this part of the meal, we talk excitedly about how to offer this plate to others so that they too can experience. My cup is overflowing by the end of this course, but there's not a mess to be made. It is being gathered so that I can share a taste of what I've enjoyed so much to anyone willing to try it. God tells me the next course will take some time to prepare. He doesn't tell me how long, if it's a little or a lot of time, but that while it's being prepared, he is by my side to continue our conversation and enjoy each other's company. Still relishing in the glow and satisfaction of the last course, I sit back in my chair and sip some water. A plate of food is being pushed my way by the twins, significance and success. At first, I pay no attention to it or to them, but I'm aware of the plate's presence on the table. I'm so satisfied. More food, especially that food, had no appeal. Before long, though, I begin to take sideways glances at the plate. I notice that most of the food on that plate are comfort foods that are familiar to me. I'm still not hungry, but I have the habit of reaching for food when I'm not hungry. I've tasted this plate before. It looks beautiful and tastes pretty good, too, but it has never satisfied the hunger I have. It fades quickly in my stomach, leaving me hungrier than before. God softly says I have the choice to eat the food from that plate, but it's not the course he's preparing for me to enjoy next. He warns that the food on that plate clouds my vision and impairs my hearing because it doesn't contain all the nutrients in it that enlivens my senses, making me most available to fully experience him. God gently reminds me that when I eat from self-made success and significance, it makes him appear far and silent when in fact he has not moved or gone quiet. Success and significance speak in sync with one another. All Christians that God is proud of eat from this plate. They don't have to depend on God like you do. They make God look good. They are strong and courageous. They write books, lead large ministry, do big acts of service. Sure, you're a child of the king, but aren't all believers? That doesn't really mean anything. Go ahead, use the fork God gave you to eat from this plate. God will love you more if you show him how much you're like him in creating your own course. It, will, it may take some time away from God to make it, but he'll understand. He wants you to be independent, self-sufficient, and definitely need him less. That is what successful Christianity looks like. Their smooth, deep voices have a deceptive authority about them that can often convince me they are right and lead me to believe that this plate is godly and not an attempt to self-serve or self-save. But this time around, I choose not to eat from the plate the twins have offered. I'm surprised at my contentment with what God has fed me. This lasting satisfaction is definitely a new sensation for me. Anger, doubt, confusion, shame, and the twins' significance and success 
or harder to hear now. They are still very present, and I'm aware they have plenty to say, but my focus is no longer drawn to their side of the table. A rack of the most beautiful gowns had just been brought out of the corner of the room for me to try on. I saw them before the meal began and feared that none of them would fit me well, but now I can't wait to try them on. They have been designed and sewn with the most beautiful materials I'd ever seen. Colors of compassion and kindness, trims of humility and gentleness with overlays of patience, each one designed to fit me perfectly. Dressed in these things, I am more convinced than ever that I am God's chosen daughter. You are holy and dearly loved, he whispers. And standing before him in radiant light, nourished by his love and strengthened with power that is not by own, I believe him. And I believe that for each one of you. I believe that for us, each season has something that God wants to offer us. I believe he offers us abundant life. I think abundant life can look so differently than what we anticipate. Abundant life is often experienced in the present of where we are. It's hoped for in the future and is actually seen easier over a lifetime. And so I want to just leave that with you guys today of whatever season you may find yourself in to know that God is in it with you that you are not alone, and that you are holy and dearly loved daughters. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways that you enter into life right where we are at. Lord, I pray that wherever each of these women find themselves, whether it's a season of celebration, anticipation, a season that's hard or challenging, a season that feels demanding, Lord, I pray that they will know your presence. I pray that they will experience you in personal and intimate ways. Lord, I pray for any ways that they know that you are good, but don't know in their hearts that you are good, that you will begin that transformation for them. Thank you for the honor of being with these women. I pray a blessing over them and their babies. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys.